You're listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Cook. Today, we're joined by a special guest, Aaron Zegas, who is the founder of Sundara. Sundara's mission is to reduce hygiene-related death and diseases through recycling hotel soap. Aaron, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I just think the work that you're doing is so unique and interesting and important. It's really, it's an honor to have you here. So would you share with us a high level of what is it that Sundara does? Yeah, of course. So, you know, when you are staying at a hotel and you use the bar of soap once or twice, and then the next day there's a brand new bar of soap and you kind of think to yourself, where did the old one go? Well, unfortunately, usually the old one goes into landfills and there's 5 million bars of soap going into landfills every single day in this country. And at the same time, there are 70 million people in India who don't know what soap is and lack access to using a bar of soap even once a month. So what Sundara does is we take the soap that's normally thrown away and we chemically reprocess it into new soap. And we train women to do this work. Most of them are widows, single mothers, or survivors of domestic violence. And uh, they also become trained as hygiene ambassadors. So they teach about hand washing, body hygiene, menstrual hygiene, and distribute the soap to their community. And um, together we're able to prevent and reduce hygiene related deaths and disease. Now I have so many questions around this and I, I, I wanna ask one, is that soaps from hotels that like I'm staying in in the US or is that only in the countries where you're serving? Yeah, so we do both. Um, we have exported soap from the US, from Canada, from the UK and Australia, but we're really trying to collect as much as we can within the countries that we serve first. So the majority of our operations are in India. We also have operations in East Africa, in Uganda, in Myanmar, and we've also piloted operations in Rwanda and South Africa. So our goal is to collect as much as we can within each country first, and then expand to collecting soap from countries like the US and Canada. It's remarkable. And now I'd love to hear your origin story. Like take me back to childhood and what is it that happened in your life that led you to founding such a critically important uh, organization? Yeah, of course. So the event that I can think of that really led me to this is when I was 19, I was a sophomore at the University of Michigan and I watched the movie Slumdog Millionaire, and mm. I was so moved by it. I couldn't believe that there were children who grew up without a social safety net, essentially raising themselves on the streets. And I remember calling my mom and saying, Mom, I have to go to Mumbai. I have to meet those kids. And she was kind of like, you know, they're fictional, right? And I, I'm very impulsive, for better or worse. And I decided I was going to take my bought mitzvah savings and buy a trip to Mumbai for myself. So I spent a few months living in an orphanage for girls, most of whom were abandoned uh, when they were days old, just by virtue of the fact that they're girls and their parents wouldn't be able to afford dowries. And I became very close with this one girl 
Her name was Priyanka. She was 10. And uh, every morning she insisted that I braid her hair. And she was also convinced that because I was white, I was able to read palms. And so I um, was not able to read palms, but she was very persistent. So after the seventh time she asked me, I decided, you know what, I think I do know how to read them. <laughs> um, and so every day I would tell her something different. She was going to be a firefighter. She'd be an English teacher. She'd move to China, just really like pulling stories out of nowhere. And I just remember seeing her face light up and seeing how moved she was because of it. Basically, this girl was in the orphanage because uh, her backstory was that she was born to a village prostitute and essentially a town drunkard in a small rural village in Uttar Pradesh. And when she was seven, her mom found out that she had many, um, that her husband had many wives and children. And so she uh, lit herself on fire. So this girl watched her mom burn herself to death. Oh my God and was then sent to her grandmother who was disabled. She was in a wheelchair, she had MS, and the grandmother couldn't take care of this girl. So she essentially sold her to traffickers and she was trafficked for three years uh, every day over the border with Nepal. I think she was trafficked like 30 times in three years. And when she was 10, a man helped her escape and come to this orphanage. And so that was essentially this girl's backstory. And we had this older sister, younger sister relationship. And then I had to go back to college. And I remember promising her that I would set her up with a Facebook as though that was really going to be useful as it had just come out. And I was also going to send her a care package with chocolate. And I really over-promised and under-delivered in that scenario. I think I just got busy with school and going back to Western life. And I remember that I called the orphanage a few months later and asked to be put on the phone with her. And uh, the woman that ran the orphanage said, oh, you didn't hear? And I said, no, what? hear what? And she said that uh, Priyanka had died. She had HIV and the orphanage didn't have money for antiretrovirals. So they dropped her off at a children's hospice. And I remember feeling so shocked, like the floor was gone underneath me. And I asked how much the ARVs cost. And she said 10 cents a week. And I think that it was this moment where up to that point, I had thought, you know, if you work hard, you can do whatever you want. And here was the case of someone who just had a really, for better or worse, crappy life. And it was over. I think in the West, we get a lot of these versions of the hero story. Like someone grows up as an orphan, they don't have anything. And then, you know, they're running for president and they're signing book deals and they won a million dollars in the lottery. And uh, actually, in countries like India, that is not the common story. And life is cheap and life is brutally unfair. And so when you're exposed to a story like that, and that person is close to you, you come back with a very changed mindset. Prior to that, I think I really cared about how other people viewed me, was living a pretty superficial life, thinking, what can I get for myself? How can I look good in front of other people? And after that experience, I started to feel really guilty about my relative privilege. But of course, guilt doesn't really do much to help the world. And you can use that guilt to motivate you to do something, even if it's something small, something to 
just tilt back the scales of the world so that they're not so drastically uneven. And for me, that I really found it in running this organization and prioritizing giving jobs to women who otherwise wouldn't be employed. So we employ women who are disabled, women who are completely illiterate. Um, and it's really important for me to offer some sort of economic opportunity for women. I know that here in the U.S. we're still fighting an uphill battle, but I think that our sisters in countries across the globe have it much worse and we have a responsibility to look out for them. And so I think that that is one of my stories that really pushed me into doing this work and keeps me motivated to this day. That's amazing. And so much is covered by what you do. Can you share some success stories that you've seen over the past couple of years and impact that you've made? Yeah, for sure. So one woman that I'm thinking about is this woman named Yogita. She is... Um, she runs one of our operations in Ashte, which is a rural village on the border of Maharashtra and Gujarat. They're two states that we work in in India. And she is, uh, not only do, is she like the head of our operations, but she also owns the office that we work in. Um, we actually work in her house. Uh, it's a very big house, so there's plenty of space. And the thing that I really love and admire about Yogita is she's the first woman in her village to build a house. And because of her job with Sundara, she has the, as much economic freedom as, as she can. And she's now running for local representative. And she's the first and only woman in this village, in this tribal area to ever run for political representation. And I'm really inspired by a woman like Yogita. She's actually my age. She's 29 as well. And I think about how many blocks she's had to success that I don't have. And she hasn't made any excuses for herself. And arguably, her job is much harder than mine. She works six days a week in brutal heat. Recycling soap is actually very difficult. It's manual labor. I get to live in a relatively nice apartment in New York and do a lot of work and on the computer and meet people at coffee shops. And she reminds me to stay humble. And she reminds me that when you invest in a woman, she invests in her community at large. And a lot of the young girls now, when you ask them, what do you want to do with your life? They'll say, I want to be like Yogita because she's a woman that's really breaking barriers in her community and setting an example for everyone else. Wow. You're doing so much good for so many people. How can our listeners help you? Yeah. Gosh, there are so many things that you can do. One of the ways that I'd love to get listeners involved is Sundar is going to be launching a new initiative next year, which is about investing in social entrepreneurs who are, in, who are living in developing countries. I think about how I've gotten so much success and funding um, and support just by virtue of the fact that I'm like a college educated white girl living in New York. And we all know that talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. Mm -hmm. And so I think that through Sundara, I have a platform of giving people capital and uh, connections that are not as lucky as I am to live here. So if you know of people that are doing incredible things in developing countries, we're specifically trying to focus on 
India, East Africa, and West Africa. And so if you know of any incredible social entrepreneurs working in water, sanitation, or hygiene, please um, connect them to me. My email is erin at sundarafund.org. Another thing that you can do is when you stay at a hotel, uh, notice what they're doing with their amenities. Do they have large bottles that are being refilled or do they have a lot of small plastic bottles? And also, are they changing your soap every day or are they just changing it once per day? You can talk to a hotel manager about this or you can talk to a housekeeping manager about this, but it's important that we as customers have a say and as consumers, we have a say in how businesses interact with us. And if enough guests are prioritizing this and saying something, hotels will change their policies. I don't know if you've been reading in the news, but a lot of large hotel chains have now tried to phase out uh, single-use plastic bottles for amenities. And a lot of that movement comes from consumers having a voice and know that every, like with every dollar you spend, you have a vote. And so choose to vote your dollars on hotels that have sustainable practices. And if we do that, the world is going to tilt and be a more environmentally sustainable place. Wow, that's so inspiring. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thinking about that and having those conversations the next time I'm staying in a hotel. Well, thank you so much for yeah. joining us today. And I wish you tremendous success in all of your worthy endeavors. My pleasure. Thank you so much. This is great. You've been listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. If you know an executive director or nonprofit professional that you think I should interview, shoot me an email at bradley at growthexponential.org.